morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. Today is Tuesday, April the 12th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Nigerian Vice President Yemi Osibajo announces plans to run for president next February on the ruling All Progressives Party ticket. Which is why I am today, with utmost humility, formally declaring my intention to run for the office of the President of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. In Sudan, crowds in Khartoum and other cities mark the third anniversary of former President Omar al-Bashir's ouster as they protest the prospect of a renewed military rule. The invasion of Ukraine leaves a sour test for South Africa's citrus farmers who face millions of dollars in losses due to sanctions that have closed off the Russian market. A lot of our fertilizer and a lot of our fuel is also from Russia and Ukraine, so I think it will have more of an effect in the, in the coming few months. And the World Health Organization says more than 13 million deaths around the world each year are due to avoidable environmental causes. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, Nigerian Vice President Yemi Osibajo has announced plans to run for president next February on the rolling All Progressives Party ticket. I believe that the very reason why the Almighty God gave me these experiences, these insights and these opportunities is that they must be put to the use of our country and its great peoples. Which is why I am today with utmost humility formally declaring my intention to run for the office of the President of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. Osibajo, who previously served as Attorney General and Commissioner for Justice in Lagos State, has been serving as Nigeria's Vice President under President Buhari since 2015. Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari will step down after serving two four-year terms. The country's political parties are due to pick presidential candidates by June the 3rd. Official campaigning will begin in September, according to the country's Electoral Commission. Osibajo will face off with his former boss, APC leader, and former Lagos governor, Bola Tinubu, who has already expressed his intention to run for the top office. In Sudan, crowds of protesters gathered in parts of the capital Khartoum and other cities on Monday to mark the third anniversary of former President Omar al-Bashir's ouster and to protest the prospect of renewed military rule. Bashir was ousted after three decades in power by a group of his top generals who later entered into a power-sharing government with the civilian groups that had led months of protests in 2019. That arrangement ended on October 25th when the same military leaders led by General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan staged a coup which has plunged the country into economic and political turmoil. Protesters blocked main roads, burning tires, banging drums and chanting revolutionary poems. Debrek Africa continues. Somalia's first woman-run radio and television outlet has opened in the capital Mogadishu. United Nations-supported Bilan Media will produce content aimed at addressing issues affecting women and champion women's rights in the conservative country. Ahmed Mohamed Adan reports from Mogadishu. The launch of Bilan Media in Mogadishu marks another leap in the effort by women 
to secure their place in Somalia's patriarchal public arena. Bilan means bright and clear in the Somali language. And the founders say they will stay true to its meaning by shedding light on some of the most consequential issues relating to and affecting women. Nasra Mohamed Ibrahim is the editor at Billion Media. This project is designed to overcome many challenges facing the community, she says. It will focus on the challenges facing women. She says there are stories about women which will be revealed because there are a lot of stories in the community and they don't allow them to be published. So Pilon will reveal those stories. By going all female, Pilon hopes to break the barriers in Somalia's conservative society where the issues such as rape, sexual assault, and women's medical issues are often ignored. Pilon says it does not seek to compete with the mainstream media, but to chart its course in elevating the voices of women and influencing the agenda in the male-dominated society. Fatih Mohamed Ahmed is the deputy editor at Pilan Media. She says, I can say that the reason for the formation of this media outlet for women is that in most parts of Mogadishu and Somalia as whole, they are media outlets where both men and women work but are managed and owned by men. The circumstances of women's needs are not discussed in depth. For example, violence against women is not discussed in depth. Ahmed says the owners of the station are not out to make a profit. It is not about making money. It is about showcasing the productivity and power of women. So we want to improve our skills and present them at a place free from corruption and abuse by men. Practitioners in the industry say the launch of female-only media house is a bold step in a country where Islamist militant groups do not hesitate to harm or kill journalists. The situation is even worse for female journalists who have to bottle other forms of challenges such as sexual harassment in newsrooms, cultural stereotypes, pressures from families, as well as low pay compared to male counterparts. Hinda Jama is the head of gender affairs at the Somali journalist syndicates. The potential challenges to this radio station are many, she says. As the radio is only operated by women, women could face challenges from Somali culture. Also, she says, Somali society is not accustomed to women doing things alone or being journalists working alone, and most of people are not aware of it. Religious-wise, she adds, some clerics may consider women unworthy to speak in the media. The answer will come soon as to whether the station can meet these challenges. Bilan is scheduled to go on the air 
April 25th. Ahmed Mohamed for VOA News, Mugadishu. World Health Organization says that more than 13 million deaths around the world each year are due to avoidable environmental causes. And as the world marked World Health Day Thursday, the WHO said that it intended to focus on urgent actions needed to keep people and the planet healthy and to foster a movement to create societies focused on well-being. Maureen Ojambo has more on this story. The World Health Organization cites a polluted planet with increasing diseases like cancer, asthma, heart disease as points of focus that need urgent attention. WHO says the climate crisis is the single biggest health threat facing humanity today in Africa. Non-communicable diseases are set to overtake communicable diseases, maternal, neonatal, and nutritional conditions combined to become the leading cause of death by 2030. Senior special scientist at the South African Medical Research Council, Karari Wright, says the use of dirty fuel is creating health hazards in the region. These impacts cause approximately 1.1 million deaths in Africa, according to a recent study in The Lancet. About two-thirds of those deaths are due to household air pollution and one-third are due to ambient or outdoor air pollution. Urbanization is one of the main drivers of air pollution in Africa. Another driver is population growth, the use of dirty fuels such as wood, Coal, kerosene, paraffin poses a grave threat to people living in a household. 99% of the world's population breathe polluted air resulting from burning of fossil fuels, which threatens people's health. Wright says Africa should do more to tackle the problem. Many African countries are in the early stages of development. This is the perfect opportunity for them to transition to renewable energy, which will help reduce air pollution. The WHO released air quality guidelines, which provides information to support countries to develop national standards to reduce air pollution. According to the World Health Organization, at least one million people die prematurely every year in eastern Mediterranean region because of living and working in unhealthy environments. The WHO's regional director for the eastern Mediterranean, Ahmed Al-Mandari, says... Toxic chemicals and other environmental risks threaten public health. It is impossible to have a healthy society in a polluted environment. Tackling environmental risks is an essential part of WHO's vision of health for all by all in the eastern Mediterranean region. Environmental hazards such as climate change, polluted air, increase the region's vulnerability. To tackle these challenges, we need to address the root causes of ill health. Many aspects of environmental health go far beyond the health sector. On this World Health Day, I call on everyone to protect our planet and our health. The WHO says extreme weather events, the loss of biodiversity, land degradation and water scarcity are displacing people and compromising the ability to take control over their health and lives. The theme of the World Health Day 2022 is Our Planet, Our Health. The topic aims at directing global attention towards the well-being of the planet and all people living on it. Reporting for Viewers Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Giambo in Sacramento, California. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has left a sour test for South Africa's citrus farmers 
who are facing millions of dollars in losses due to sanctions that have closed off the Russian market. South Africa is the second largest citrus exporter and farmers are scrambling to find other markets before the fruit spoils. Linda Giftas reports from Grobler Style in South Africa. South Africa normally sends about 10% of its annual $2 billion in citrus exports to Russia. That's now on hold because of sanctions imposed after Russia launched its invasion of Ukraine. Following two years of export disruptions caused by the coronavirus pandemic, unrest and cyber attacks on the ports, the loss of the Russian market is another blow to South African farmers. Citrus farmer Pete Engelbrock pulls a lemon off a tree in the 500 hectares he farms in Groblerstal, about a three-hour drive northeast of Johannesburg. It's going to be a tough year, and although demand is growing in the current markets, uh, it's not going that fast or rapidly that it can uh, absorb this, the 10%. Engelbrock was forced to reroute a shipment of lemons this season that was on a vessel bound for Russia. But finding new markets isn't simple, say industry insiders, even for well-established family farms. Justin Chadwick is the CEO of the Citrus Growers Association of Southern Africa. He spoke to VOA via Zoom. The markets are very susceptible to, to oversupply. Um, and because the, the, the product obviously can't be stored for, for any length of time, if there's too much in the market, it either has to be seriously discounted to move the fruit quicker or it just, uh, it just wastes eventually. Russia's war on Ukraine has also pushed up production costs with effects beyond the current season. A lot of our fertilizer and a lot of our fuel is also from Russia and Ukraine, so I think it will have more of an effect in the, in the coming few months. And it's not just exporters having to pay higher costs to get their goods to the warehouse and sent to customers. Rising fuel costs are hitting all areas of South Africa's transportation and trade. Economists warn that that will have a long-term effect on the economy, mainly for consumers and the poor, who spend most of their income on food. Davi Root, chief economist for the South Africa-based Efficient Group, spoke to VOA via Zoom. We're going to see inflation going through the roof. What is really, really going to be bad for South Africa is that the kind of inflation that we're going to experience will be very high levels of food inflation because of the Ukraine and Russia being major grain producers and also other soft commodities. Back at Farmer Endelbrock's warehouse, workers sort fruit on conveyor lines before it is packaged for export. While South Africa's farmers are hopeful that they can survive the loss of the Russian market, if future growing seasons are disrupted, they may have to cut jobs. With South Africa's unemployment rate hitting a record 35%, the citrus industry's 120,000 workers want to see recovery soon, so their jobs won't be at risk. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Groblersdal, South Africa. So I'm quite sure you've heard about NFTs. Well, a non-fungible token, also known as NFT, is a non-interchangeable unit of data stored on a blockchain that can be sold and traded. An NFT is often created or minted from digital objects that represent both tangible and intangible items. Now, those items include art, photos, videos, and even audio. But many people have been asking, are NFTs worth the money or even the hype? From Lagos, Samuel Okocha reports on how artists are responding to the global NFT buzz and what it means for visual artists in Nigeria. 
the NFT is very fresh. It's very interesting. It's uh, a little bit distracting. The noise is too much than the reality. The hype is becoming too much than even the real cash. From his studio workshop, Dotun Bobola makes life-size sculptures with materials from metal scraps. As a renowned metal sculpture, Dotun's works have traveled beyond Nigeria to land in the hands of luxury art buyers across the world. But with the global buzz around NFTs, Dotun says he is working to catch up with the trend. I took time to take good pictures of my work. And now I have started doing digital sculpting. Now, sculpting this kind of thing digitally, you have to learn some Z, ZBrush, learn 3D Max and stuff like that. So I have started doing that because if you don't update yourself, you'll just be, you'll be a relic. While established artists like Dotung Bukwola are taking their time to prepare and explore the opportunities in NFTs, emerging artists like Joshua Woshika have jumped in already. I just recently started on my own. Um, normally I've been doing it together with people and they are mid-sales. I've had friends made up to 0.02 ETH because we sell NFTs in ETH, Ethereum. Ethereum is the blockchain on which NFTs run. Uh, we have set up to 0.02 ETH. 100,000 naira, some 500,000, up to 500,000. But the second thing that NFT has done for me and my artists, it has helped me publicize my art more to not just the Nigerian community, which is my media community, but to the world. Everybody is now appreciating any form of art, especially black art. Joshua works in Lagos as a real estate and documentary photographer. While NFTs offer a pathway for emerging artists like him to monetize their creative works, Joshua is quick to add that the benefits go beyond just personal gains. The thing is, NFT is not just meant to be a come make money quick. It's actually meant to be a community of people. You are building a community of people that can help other people. So imagine taking a picture of an orphan child and uh, we make sales from the picture and 50% of that sales goes to that child's development, education and all because that's the main goal of NFT, building communities where everybody can profit. So that's the project I've been working on. Meanwhile, back in the studio, Dotun says he is ready to explore the NFT space, but it will have to be a slow process, he says. Uh, gradually, I'm, pu- I'm going towards that direction, gradually. Uh, but even the demand for this physical one, I can't even meet, it, meet up. So I'm praying for strength and grace. Samuel Okocha for VOA News in Lagos, Nigeria. And let's go to Kampala in Uganda, where one young woman is taking on a job dominated by men. That is auto mechanics. Reporter Mugume Davis Rwakarinji caught up with her and filed this story from Kampala, Uganda. If you find that the terminals, you measure them using a voltmeter and... 21-year-old Ainomu Jishamase Nkankara said it is important to check the battery levels when your car fails to start. I spoke to her at New Garage located in the Kampala suburb of Kasangati. Masse shares her work with 15 other mechanics, all of them men. Her journey started when she joined Neo Garage as a receptionist. She says it was not easy convincing her employers to join the auto mechanics department two years ago. As I was saying, these people are operating on cars. I picked interest and I, told, I talked to my boss. I was like, I can also work as a mechanic. At first he couldn't believe, but after he gave me a chance, he took me to school. After six months of training, Marse was sent back to the garage ready to face the machines. She says it was challenging. 
The very first day after school, I worked on a tire. Though it was a tire of these big cars, so it was too heavy for me. Yeah, but I was very happy that day, and yeah, that encouraged me so much, and I knew I would make it. At times, Masse says some clients need a lot of convincing that she too can work on their cars. Driver Timothy Motebi says we only give a few gigs to Masse simply because she's a woman. I don't trust female mechanics. I always trust men because there are some things like or some nuts which need some man's power whereby a woman cannot fix it well. So with these other things, then I can give the woman. John Collins Mugamba, the chief mechanic here, says all the boys at the garage have been there to give a hand when Masa needs some money man power. Mugamba says what men can do, women too can do. I like the courage that she went in for this job because most of the ladies shy away. Then on the other side, of course, she's always on time. She's one person who, who likes or who is always learning asking questions so she has the the she has all the gears to be into the job master says for now she's perfecting her skills with one big ambition starting her own garage so she can be able to employ other female mechanics in the country for voa news i am mugume davis ruakarinjini kampala uganda Police in Nigeria's central plateau state say they have sent extra officers to nine villages where gunmen on Sunday reportedly killed more than 70 people and burned down houses. Police and locals say hundreds of villagers have fled their homes since then. Attacks by armed gangs are becoming increasingly common in northern and central Nigeria, as Timothy Obiezi reports from Abuja. The Plateau State Police Public Relations Officer Gabriel Uba tells Fiowe that police have sent reinforcements to the affected villages including Kokawa, Giambahu, Dango and Karen. We are doing our possible best. Security operatives will be deployed to that area. I will also renew our security strategies which will not be made, made known to the public. It's an in-house security strategy that has been put in place. Uba said police have yet to determine the number of casualties from the attacks. Local residents say more bodies were discovered Monday. Armed gangs invaded the villages in broad daylight on Sunday, shooting sporadically and torching houses. Local residents say the victims included farmers who were tilling their fields in preparation for planting. They say the attackers abducted dozens of people, including women and children. The attacks occurred barely one week after 17 people were killed elsewhere in Plateau during a festival held to pray for peace and a bountiful harvest. No one has claimed responsibility for the attacks. Attacks by Maroudin armed gangs in northwest and central Nigeria are becoming more common, causing widespread criticism of the Nigerian government. Last week, gunmen attacked an army base in Kaduna State, killing 15 people. Late last month, terrorists attacked a train in Kaduna, killing eight people and kidnapping dozens of others. Most of the abductees have yet to be freed. In a video released Monday, abductees were seen calling on authorities for help. Security expert Kabir Adam says authorities must take responsibility for failing to protect the public. 
very important that we introduce monitoring and evaluation within the security sector and include in this monitoring and evaluation key performance indicators so that persons who let down the ball and allow these attacks happen are held accountable and whatever the punishment or penalty for that is meted out on them. We also need to increase the participation of the communities in the security operations. Last week, Nigerian telecommunications operators complied with a government order to bar phone numbers not registered under the country's national identification scheme in a bid to track those used by criminals, especially terrorists. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.